Well, friends, if you have a Bible, let me go ahead and invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to begin the sermon this morning reading the text uh, right out of the gate. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible of your own, there are some there provided in the pew for you. And I believe Hebrews chapter 11 is on page 947, I believe, or, or maybe 948. We jumped ahead there a little bit. Uh, yeah, and so when you get to that page, if you're new to the Bible, just look for the big number 11. That's where I'll begin reading here in just a moment. Uh, I say this every week, or we try to every week. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we do have some in the foyer we would love to give you as our gift uh, to you. And so those can be found, again, in the foyer. You can grab one on your way out. If you, if you know a friend or a neighbor, coworker who needs a Bible as well, uh, please do take one for them too. Well, friends, let me invite you to stand once more for the reading of God's Word today as we begin our study of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. This is God's word to us today from Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. You may be seated. I wanted to start by reading the text straight away this morning so that I could ask you a question in light of it. Now these verses, for those of you who have grown up in church or been a part of a church for any amount of time, are probably familiar to you. These are verses that are uh, some of the most well-known and and memorized verses in our Bibles because of the clear-cut explanation of faith that is given. But I want to begin this morning by asking you a question, a serious question, though initially it may sound like a joke. Okay, so I understand that it may sound like a joke, but I intend it to be a serious question. And I don't mean this as a joke, but it's something I actually want you to consider. So here's the question. And it's addressed particularly to those of you who are followers of Jesus. I'm going to get to the question, but I'm setting it up. So it's, it's, it's a good question. Uh, if you're here this morning and, and you are not a follower of Jesus, we are so thankful that you're here. Uh, perhaps this is the very question that you have in your mind as you're sitting here among us this morning. And so here it is. You ready for the question? Okay. Christian, what exactly made you believe the crazy ideas that are found in this book? What made you believe the crazy ideas that are found in this book? Or to say it another way, why exactly do you believe the almost absurd claims that are found in the Bible? But pastor, you say, what is the absurd craziness that you're talking about? Well, we could spend time going through each book of the Bible and pointing out the crazy claims that this book holds out, but since we have been working our way through the book of Hebrews, let's just start there. Let's look at the, the book of Hebrews and some of the things that the book of Hebrews claims. Okay? So I'm going to rephrase my question before we get through it. Why exactly do you believe the claim that, Hebrews chapter 1, God has spoken to humanity through the person of Jesus Christ, who is in fact God Himself, greater than the angelic beings, beings that we do not see? Why do you believe that Hebrews chapter 2, Jesus, though He is God, took on the flesh of humanity living as a man in the Middle East some 2,000 years ago? 
Why do you believe, Hebrews chapter 3, that our hearts are deceitful and should not be followed, but instead we need other people to protect us from this thing called sin? Hebrews chapter 4, why do you believe that only true rest can be found when we come to God? We can only come to God by coming to Jesus Christ. Therefore, Christianity is the only religion that actually gives us rest and peace. Why do you believe Hebrews chapter 4 again? What makes you believe that Jesus never sinned? Or Hebrews chapter 8? What makes you think that this Jesus is now living, still fully human, in heaven where we can't see Him? Why do you believe Hebrews 9? What makes you so certain that this Jesus died for your sins so you wouldn't have to? And Hebrews 10. Why would you believe that you can draw near to this so-called God and He would listen to you because of the guy that died on that Roman cross so many years ago. I mean, how is it that as Christians we could believe such things and at the same time, how could you ever tell others and expect them to believe it? I mean, this really is what evangelism is, isn't it? that we would share the good news of Jesus Christ and what He has done and who He is and what He will do. That's everything that Hebrews just laid out. And we are to share it with others. Why would you share it with other people and ever expect them to believe such craziness? Now, I ask those questions not to make you doubt Christianity, but to help you understand not only what Christians during the time of the book of Hebrews was written were hearing from those who hated them, But these are the same kinds of questions, no doubt, that some of you have faced and will face in the coming days. To be called crazy, to be called lunatics or spiritual conspiracy theorists. How will you respond? Or just to be real, perhaps these questions are not questions that you have received from others, but they are in fact questions that have come up in your own heart. As you've wrestled with, with doubts and suspicions, And wondering, is this real? They are questions that you've wrestled with yourself. So friends, where are we to turn when the world wants to pull us away and our own strength to hold on to God feels like it's slipping away? Well, that brings us to Hebrews chapter 11. What has been known as the great faith chapter is a chapter that is all about this idea of faith which I think is an appropriate way to see the chapter as we're going to come to see over the next couple of months. This chapter is indeed full of pictures of faith working itself out in the lives of God's people. It's a fairly simple chapter to break down. In verses 1 through 3, we have the introduction that we're going to look at today. Then in verses 4 through verse 38, we have Old Testament saints proving the description that we're going to see in verses 1 through 3. And then in verses 39 through 40, we have the summary of faith. All of that is pretty straightforward if you read the chapter. The real bombshell of the thing actually comes when you move into chapter 12. How does chapter 12 begin? Well, flip over there if you can right quick. Let me read the first couple of verses for us. Therefore, which connects with what is preceded it, right? Grammar, grammar people, grammar police. What does therefore mean? It it connects what I said before, because of that, this. 
Here it is. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, let us also, along with them, lay aside every weight and sin which so clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our, here's the word, faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Friends, it's here in the first couple verses of chapter 12 that we find the greatest example of faith. And not just the greatest example, but the very author and the one who perfected faith in his life, Jesus Christ. This is where it's all going to build to. And I'm starting in the introduction today with the conclusion because I want you to see where we're going to be going. Why? Because verse 2 tells us we are to fix our eyes on Him, looking to Jesus. And this is the point of all biblical preaching because it's the point of the entire Bible. And friends, my great prayer is that we'll come to see that it is Jesus who is the great object of all of our faith. Chapters, uh, chapter 11, verses 4 through 38, with all of these examples that we are going to be looking at over the next two months, are not meant to make us look at them. We're not to look at Abraham. We're not to look at Isaac. We're not to look at Joseph. We're not to look at Moses. We're not to look at Joshua. We're not to look at Rahab. We're not to look at... I could keep going, because we are. We're going to keep going. But the point is not to look at them. It is to look to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And so that's really my plan over the next couple months, as we slowly work our way through this list of Old Testament saints, is to show how, in every case in different shades and colors, it was Jesus who was the great confidence and assurance of their faith. Which brings us to the few verses here at the beginning of chapter 11 that I read for us a moment ago. They act as a kind of introduction to this whole reality of faith. Now, what we have here, and this is where a lot of us get tripped up, is not a textbook definition of faith. Right? It's not as if we should turn into the back of our Bibles to a glossary and there's the word faith in bold and next to it it's just going to have this verse. That's, that's not what this verse is. No, it's something else. This verse doesn't say everything that could be said about faith. This isn't a comprehensive study of the topic of faith. But instead it gives us a description, an ideal faith, a faith that is played out. Which is really my prayer for us today as we break down these three verses. I am praying that our faith in Jesus Christ would be so built up that we are moved to a place of radical obedience and supernatural perseverance against the sin that seems to haunt us in the world and seems to tarry in our own hearts at times. I want us to trust God to get us there by considering each of these verses then in turn. So there's three points for the three verses Pretty simple. You'll probably be able to remember them even in your conversations after church today. So here are the three points. The expression of faith, the experience of faith, and the example of faith. Okay, see? Easy to remember. Expression, experience, example of faith. So let's begin by thinking about the expression of faith. Look back at verse 1 of Hebrews 11. Take note how the verse even starts because it helps us to know why he's even beginning things here. What does it say? Now. Which means that there was something that came before. Then, now. Do you remember what it was that came before? It actually pushes us back to why the whole book has been written. 
Because of the intense persecution these Christians were facing and their temptation to go back to their old ways of religious life, they had come to see that some who were among them were not truly Christians and had abandoned them. You remember that? We looked at that last week. It's what we call apostasy. At the same time, back in 10, 24 through 25, we find that some of them, because of worldly cares, had been habitually not gathering with the other Christians, instead opting to give their time to other lesser important things. Well, you don't need to go to church to be a Christian. You guys are too into this Jesus thing and His people. It's all you talk about. Your life needs a little balance. You need to be more of a Renaissance man or woman. Friends, don't we hear the same thing today? How many of you have friends or family or coworkers? You say, oh, yeah, I, I know you're a Christian. I'm a Christian too. I love Jesus. I don't, but I don't need church. I don't need those people. When the heat is applied, we find in the Bible and in our own lives that that half-hearted commitment seems to just melt away over time. So the question before us then is, what is true faith? That's what he's getting at here. After everything that he said, what is true faith? What kind of faith perseveres, keeps on going through fires, through floods? Look back at Hebrews 10, 39, the verse right before. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Then in verse 1, now faith. The faith that I've just mentioned that preserves souls, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Now, you may have noticed, to get a little technical on us this morning, this verse is made up of two halves. You see that? Number one, assurance of things hoped for. Number two, conviction of things not seen. And any of you who have studied literature, especially biblical literature, know that what this is called. It's called parallelism. We find this really happening a lot in the Psalms. It's where we say one thing, and then we say it again a different way to clarify it or make it more bold. So, so he makes two statements, both getting at the very same idea, but with different words to make them more impactful. Here they are. Assurance of things hoped for, conviction of things not seen. So assurance lines up with conviction. Do you see that? Hoped for lines up with things unseen. They run parallel to each other. Now before we get at those first two of assurance and conviction, what is it he's actually talking about here? I guess is probably the best question to ask. What are these things hoped for? What are these things that are unseen? Because I don't know about you, but, but, but as I've looked at this verse, that's really the question I come away with. I know what assurance is. I know what conviction or confidence is. But what are these unseen, hoped for things that are not around yet. What is it he's getting at? Well, this hope for is not just wishful thinking or a trusting belief in just anything. Hope for is something that we do not currently have. Hope for here refers to things in the future, future realities held out. And then when we enter into those times, into those future realities, to say it the way that Paul say it, says it, our faith becomes sight which is how he describes them there in the second part of verse 1. Things that are yet unseen. They are not ours to behold yet. This is something that we could miss often in our, our modern reading of this verse. 
when we're prone to click and scroll and get access to anything we want. There's a soccer game in England or, or Japan or in Brazil, and as soon as the thing ends, we can get the score just like that. We weren't there, we didn't see it, but we can know the score in a second. We don't have to work very hard to think about things that we don't see. But the author here isn't speaking about sports or, or a new movie or, or the latest podcast. No, he's speaking of greater things, a greater reality, a future that all this world pales in comparison to. How do we know this? And maybe this is the question some of you have wrestled with in studying this verse. What exactly am I supposed to have assurance in? What exactly am I supposed to hope in? Well, again, the surrounding context helps us understand the magnitude of expectation. Just go back to chapter 10 quickly with me. After his declaration that Christians have access to God that's been given to them by the blood of Jesus in verses 19 through 23 of chapter 10, we find a fair amount of future happenings mentioned in the rest of the chapter. We pick up in verses 24 and 25. I've already mentioned them. We see that the coming day of Christ, His coming return, should be the motivation for us being together as much as possible so we can encourage one another. Then in verse 31, we find that there is a coming day when some will fall into the hands of a living God. In verses 34 through 35, we see that what propelled their endurance under persecution was that there is a future inheritance, a future reward, a possession that does not pass away. Verse 36 says that the very promises of God are held out to be received on a future day. And this all culminates in the quoting of the prophetic words of Haggai and Habakkuk there in verses 37 and 38 of Hebrews 10, which tells us that there is a coming one and He will return without delay. Taken together, what does all of this hold out? as things hoped for and happenings not yet seen? Well, friends, it speaks of that future day when what was purchased for us by Jesus upon the cross will be given to us as a glorious and full salvation. He's speaking of the things that we do not yet see, but will one day roll over into sight in a glorious, redeemed, perfected sight. It's not a positive mental attitude. This is not name-it-claim-it theology that I hope for the Lamborghini. Tomorrow morning, the Lamborghini is going to be in my driveway. That's not what he's talking about here. This isn't an assurance in yourself, in today's world or in any work that you can accomplish on your own. This isn't some idea of Christian karma or good energy that you're supposed to have and things hoped for and suddenly they're going to take place. No, friends, this is speaking of the only thing in all of the universe that can buoy up a soul that has been dashed over and over by the waves and pummeled by the storms and the winds of this world. As some of you this morning, you've been ravaged by, by illness, by death, by heartache, loneliness, financial burden, another week of failing at trying to pursue God. What's held out here is a rock to cling to that can give us hope. But remember how I phrase this point. This is the expression of what faith is. 
This is what faith looks like. This is where faith is shown, it's displayed, it's proven by where it sets its eyes. This isn't the object of faith. And I want to be clear about that because it's going to be important as we move through this chapter. This is not the object of our faith. It is the expression, the proving of our faith. This is the result. This is how faith shows itself, like brown hair and brown eyes. And so it is a bit of a test, isn't it? To see if we have true biblical faith. Well, this verse asks, where is your faith pointed? Where are you holding out in your faith? Are you holding out for for a better life? Is there some achievement that you desire here on earth? Is it arriving at a place of strength in yourself? Maybe it's getting financially stable, or seeing your kids be saved, or being the perfect Christian minimalist. But this verse tells us that the one who has faith, the one who has faith that is placed in the right direction, will not hope in the here and now. Will not have confidence in, in this world and all of its trappings and all of the glitz and glamour. The one who has true biblical faith will not seek their best life now. No, true faith is marked by an abiding trust and hope that there are realities that are yet unseen and there are days yet unknown that will come and will hold them in the glorious end for which all of creation was made. Faith is able to see around the bend of this world with confidence and take step after step after step. Yes, trembling and inching along sometimes, but steps nonetheless. True faith knows there's a day coming when Jesus will return for His own, and He will take the bride for which He died, and He will crush the head of the serpent once and for all, killing sin and killing sorrow and killing death. And He will have the world, and it will display His glory once and forevermore. That is where faith is placed. And this is where this passage gets practical now. This isn't just some wonderful thing to think about. For some here today, that faith needs to begin. Your faith needs to be placed. If you're here today and you aren't a follower of Jesus and you don't have any faith in the future and you don't know, believe, or trust any of what I've just said is going to come about, step one for you today is to simply ask. And I think we, get, we glaze over this so often. But I found, that at the end of the day, for my own children, in my own evangelism, this is all that I can tell people to do in a moment, is to ask God to open your eyes. Ask Him to reveal Himself. Start by opening the Bible and finding one or two people here to read it with. And ask God to show you, to give you faith to believe. See how God answers and what truth is held out for you. And for those of you who are followers of God, so assured are we of the future, so confident are we of what will come to pass that our lives here in the present should be utterly and monumentally transformed. Should they not? We're going to come to see this over and over throughout this chapter that faith and life are not two disengaged things. You don't pay lip service with faith, but then live a life that is utterly different than what you've said or what you believe. But we see fundamentally that our faith 
and what is to come, and the one who is to come, yet unseen, our faith in him changes everything about how we live right now. And that's what those two words there of assurance and conviction come into play. Assurance means a full confidence. Conviction means a deep and abiding belief. A full confidence and a deep and abiding belief. This is, this is stepping forward active language. This is firm foundation language. An assurance to move forward. That the bridge is not going to collapse and the house is not going to be blown over. To put it to you straightforward, this is a way of being that only God Himself could bear in us. Because this kind of faith that's talked about right here, and I know some of you grew, grew up trying to achieve this kind of faith only to realize, hey, I can't do it. This, this kind of faith, this kind of trust, this kind of assurance only comes by the work of God Himself in our hearts. This is not something we can just muster up on our own. As one scholar put it, faith apprehends as a real fact what is not revealed to the senses. It rests on the fact, acts upon it, and is upheld by it in the face of all that seems to contradict it. Faith is real seeing. Faith is real seeing. Seeing what? Well, as the reformer Martin Luther said, for the gospel does not expressly demand works of our own by which we become righteous and are saved. Indeed, it condemns such works. Rather, the gospel demands faith in Christ, that He has overcome for us sin, death, and hell, and thus gives us righteousness, life, and salvation, not through our works, but through His own works, death, and suffering, in order that we may avail ourselves of His death and victory as though we had done it ourselves. And if I could be so bold to add to Luther here, would also say, according to Hebrews 11, that our faith is not just placed in what God has done in Jesus Christ, but what God will do in Jesus Christ. Faith is trust in God's character as seen in the person of Jesus. This is why assurance and confidence are the expressions of faith, while Jesus Christ is the very object of it. He is the one in which our faith lies. Not just ours, but of all His people both ancient and modern. And I want to spend a little more time here on that first verse because it, just, it lays the foundation, not just for today, but for everywhere we're going to go. I was telling my wife I, I, this morning, I hope I convey this passage well because for the next two months, I'm going to have to refer to this passage and this sermon over and over and over again. So hopefully I've explained that well. But let's see where he now goes. Look at verse 2 as we see the experience of faith. Picking up in verse 1, let me read that again. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Now, maybe you've been so busy reading other portions of the Bible recently you forgot how the book of Hebrews begins. But let me remind us there, it'll be helpful for this verse. You don't have to flip there, let me read it for you. Hebrews 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers. Those fathers He's speaking of there are the same ones here, the people of old. 
Now we see that where this letter began by telling us that God spoke to the people of old, we find in chapter 11 that the people of old listened with ears of faith. And that's what verse 2 is getting at when it says, For by it. By what? For by it. By what? By faith. That's the title of this sermon. But it's going to be the refrain that you're going to see sung throughout chapter 11 19 times in 38 verses. If you're good at math, that's an average of one time every two verses. By faith. By faith. Because just as our lives are to be marked by faith that moves us forward in obedience and perseverance, the ancients, the people of old, Old Testament saints, were also carried along under the very favor of God through their faith. And that's what that word commendation is getting at. That word means gained approval or, or receiving divine favor. See, see, God isn't mentioned by name here, but it's implied. Who else are they going to be commended by? Who else were they going to find delight and find favor, favor with? I mean, for the sake of God, we'll come to read in verse number 36 and 38. Look ahead there, Hebrews 11. For the sake of God, others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sown in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. So friends, here's my question. How is it that you're going to hold those two verses together? By it, they received their commendation, their favor, their approval, their honor. And then on the other hand, they were sown in two. Not like David Copperfield at some Vegas show. No, Think about it for a second. They were stripped naked and stoned, stabbed, sewn in two, lived in caves and dens, and yet they received their approval, their commendation? There's a difference then in understanding what we're living for versus how and what the world is living for. It means that God, this verse means that God, in view of their living in faith, found delight in their trust of Him. And therefore He upheld them. He bore them safely through this world and into His presence by His sovereign kindness. And friends, to our great delight, He has recorded their stories in His sacred word for us. In a very practical way then, this is a very template for how you can read the Old Testament. We're, going, we're in the Old Testament in our Bible reading plan. And some of us, y'all read Leviticus, right? You're getting into the, some of those things where God says, don't do this, don't do this. And you're like, what is going on here, right? This helps us to understand how we read the very Old Testament. What do we read it as? with an eye to God's delight in them because of their devotion to Him, because of His work in their lives. That's how we read the Old Testament. We see over and over and over how God bears them up, how He upholds them, how He works in their life. And He finds delight in their worship and their turning to Him. 
Or to say it another way, I think this may be helpful for some of you, the saints of the Old Testament were saints for precisely the same reason we are today. Let me say that again. Saints of the Old Testament, followers of God, believers, the saved, were saved for the exact same reason that you are saved today. They had assurance and confidence in things and events that they had not yet seen. Namely for them, the coming of the Messiah and His living and His dying and His reigning for their sake. Their faith was in assurance and hope in things that they had not yet seen. Listen closely. Christian faith is not a mental agreement of all of Christianity. It's not just saying, yes, I agree that Jesus died and He was buried and rose on the third day. That is true. That is a part of Christian faith. That is a necessary part of Christian faith. But that's not finally what it is. And we know this because we ourselves and, and those that we've shared the gospel to who have responded, they, they didn't understand everything. When you became a Christian, did you fully understand the Trinity? When you became a Christian... Did you understand exactly how to confess your sin and, and how to pray to God? Did you, did you have all the... Some of you may have all the books of the Bible memorized and you memorized the, the 12 tribes and, and, and the 12 apostles. Okay, some of you may have. But at the end of the day, it's not a mental exercise. True Christian faith is something that can only be generated by an act of God's sovereign grace. There's a difference between knowing and experiencing there's a difference between knowing something up here and actually experiencing it. There's a difference between seeing a jar of honey on the shelf and knowing the sweetness on your own tongue. So we see that faith in the Old Testament and faith today are marked by this same reality that God has revealed Himself to us and we have tasted and seen that He is good. This truth, it's so transformative. It actually becomes in the life of the Christian the, the overarching reality that changes everything about our lives. It, it regulates everything about our lives. It, it changes our thoughts and, and our words and our, our actions and our, our attitudes and the kind of jobs that we take and the, the way we spend our money and the way we spend our, our free time, the way we raise our children, the way that we commit to a local by believers. Faith in God and what He has done changes everything. I mean, think about it with me. I think this is where some folks get tripped up. We, we know that a person is made right. We have a big word for that, and it's in our statement of faith. It's the word justified, made right before God. We are, we are put right before Him by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone. We believe that. That's true. I hope you believe that. That's what the Bible teaches. So if you don't believe that, you sh should believe that. But the thing that we must take hold of is this reality that we find out here. That God-generated faith will never be alone. When we get down to it, we find that faith moves. That faith moves us. It propels us along. And here's the whole point of this chapter. Here's the whole point of these stories of the people of old. Faith is proved in the fire of life. It's easy to say you believe something until it's tested. The pleasure of God is displayed in the perseverance of His people. The delight of God is shown not in His showering them with earthly gifts and worldly pleasures, 
but by giving them His self, His promises, His power and His peace, and bearing them safely through. And when I say safely through, I don't mean safely in terms of this world, but I mean safely in the sense of perseverance that they're going to get where He has determined they're going to go. And they may show up sown in two, but He will get them there. This is what we're going to find in example after example. We're going to consider the first one here in just a moment. But here's my question for you this morning. As we work our way through this chapter, where are you finding your commendation? Let me give you some synonyms maybe to help you understand this word commendation a little bit better. Commendation is is the stamp of approval. Commendation is is a recognition. It's being set apart. It's tied to the word consecrate and and being set apart. Starting to get the picture here? By faith, by walking in radical obedience, trusting the future fulfillment of the promises of God, these saints of old received their commendation, their stamp of approval, their recognition, their, their consecration, being set apart, being set apart even here in chapter 11 of Hebrews. As I've said before, the very delight of God. Whether you realize it or not, the approval of God and His delight is what all of our hearts are longing for. And our deepest desires our deepest longings, our deepest need is found right here and being welcomed into the very presence of a God who delights Himself in us, the crown of His creation, the bearers of His image. To hear that He loves us, that we are His, and He finds pleasure in us, friend, whether you realize it or not, it's what every person desires. It's what every person's deepest need is. And the question before you is how do you intend to get it? Because it's what we're all chasing after whether we realize it or not as well. There are two ways to attempt to receive a commendation. First, you can try to earn it yourself through your own perfection, your own goodness, your own righteousness. Maybe you came here this morning hoping to get a pep talk so you could go back out there tomorrow morning pursuing your own righteousness. But we know if we're honest with ourselves that Psalm 14 is true. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there is any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have all become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. So what hope is there? By faith. By faith there is hope. Therefore, since we have been justified By faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. Galatians 2.16 For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. Ephesians 2.8 For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John 5.4 So my question for you is, do you have this kind of faith today? 
What is your assurance and confidence in? Where will you seek your commendation and approval? Are you more concerned with the approval of this world or the approval of the one who created it? And that's exactly where he goes in the next section. The next verse, point three, the example of faith. Look back at verse three one more time. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now we could spend a whole sermon just on this verse because there's so much wrapped up into this idea and this theology of of creation and what is made, what has been created, the universe, and how God did it just from speaking, that it is by His very Word. He says, and it happens. We'll do that, look at it again a little bit next week, but there's a couple things I want you to see as we apply what we've just considered about expression and experience of faith in the life of the true believer. Number one, while our faith is, is rightly placed in the future and what is to come, we see here that our faith cannot be fully understood or grow into maturity if it's also not rooted in the unseen past. Do you see that? That, that word seen there is occurring again a second time. What do I mean by the unseen past? What I mean is that while our faith is placed in what is to come, we also have faith that God was the one who worked and willed what took place in the past. And not just any past, but the very beginning of all time. To say it another way, how can we believe that God can breathe new life into us? That He can regenerate our hearts and cause us to be born again? That He can come and create a new heavens and a new earth where we will live with eternal life if we don't believe that He did it to begin with in the first place? Now, for some of you Christians, that might feel like a no-brainer, but please use your brain. Think about the Christians here. They were surrounded by pagan cultures that believed all kinds of crazy stories about how the world was created, just like we do today, except theirs were much more exciting. The creation myths of that time believed that like, creation was made after gods were fighting monsters and, and the world was built out, out of the monsters' dead bodies. It's a lot more exciting than what you can read on science.com these days. But here we see that creation was not created from something that already existed, but that it was made ex nihilo, out of nothing. The one who was unseen, the very God of all, created out of nothing. And this was to display what? To show us that the God of Christianity is the very creator himself and that he was able to make something out of nothing. Just practically speaking, this is helpful in understanding the sciences. Biology, geography, cosmology, even psychology. All of them must ultimately come under the greatest and most glorious of science, theology. The study of God Himself. Or to say it another way, science and faith are not always at odds with one another. But if and when our faith butts up against common science... We must always submit our science to God's Word. Science must submit to God because it was God who spoke all things into being by His very Word. But here's a more important question. This is where I'll close this morning. Why does he start here? Why does he start here in Hebrews eleven three? 3? I believe he does so as he will with each of these examples we'll study in the coming weeks to bolster our faith up and to spur us along. See, going back to the other bookend, 
Hebrews 12. Many of you know how it goes. It's the therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And those of us who are familiar with this chapter, chapter 11, we tend to imagine that, right? That we're, we're surrounded by, by, by Abraham and, and Isaac and, and Joseph and, and Moses is there. And that's good, that's right. But have we missed something here? Friends, could it be that there is a witness that we have overlooked? Friends, we find that the first by faith mentioned here in verse 3 is centered on the very creation itself. That the birds and the clouds and the bugs and the snow and the rain too, yes, and the volcanoes and the streams and the tigers and the Spanish moss and the oaks that have been growing for hundreds of years, all of them are witnesses to the one who creates and the one who recreates, to the one who generates life and the one who regenerates life, to the one who made heaven and earth, the seen and unseen, and who will come again to make a new heavens and a new earth. Let him who was able to speak nothing and turn it into a beautiful something we saw around us, that Him who was able to give life and sustain life and organize life, that God is the same one who has given us new life through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the same God who will bring a restored paradise, though unseen now, will being built up by the one whom our souls delight and who delights to be with us. So, as we begin our journey through Hebrews chapter 11. Let me read the introduction and conclusion together as we close our time this morning. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Jumping to chapter 12. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May we fix our eyes on Him in whom our faith finds its object. May we fix our eyes on Him in finding endurance and sustenance for everything that we need. May we look to Him even now as we come together for His supper, trusting and seeing that He, though unseen, is all that we hope for. Let us pray by faith. God, we do come before you this morning asking that you would give us faith. Faith to believe and faith to move forward in that belief. Would you work in us what only you can? Would you draw us to yourself anew? Grant us repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. May he be ever the object of our faith so that though he is unseen now, 
We may look for that day when we will see Him face to face and we will be as He is. Until that day, God, grant us faith that becomes sight. In Jesus' name, amen.